You're listening to City Church Manchester. We are a church that invites everyone to enjoy Christ for the glory of God. If we can serve you in any way, then visit our website at citychurchmanchester.org to find out more. We'll be reading two sections from 1 Timothy chapter 6. The first section is verse 6 to 10. In your church Bibles, it's page 1194. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The second section is from verse 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I'm going to be reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, and I'm going to be reading from verses 19 to 24. So that's Matthew, chapter 6, verse 19 to 24. It says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Great, thank you so much, Matt, uh, and Happy New Year, everyone. It is great to be back here at Central Hall with you. Uh, let me pray as we begin. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that your word is true. Thank you, your word is authoritative. Thank you that your word speaks into our lives today, bringing life, bringing light into the recesses of our hearts, minds, and souls. And we pray, Lord, would you do a work in us? Would you transform us as we grasp better the gospel of grace? And would you lead us to have a right view of the money and the things that we possess? Amen. Uh, Well, it's a new day, a new year, and a new sermon series at City Church. Uh, And I want to explain a little bit about what we're seeking to do over the next three weeks in this series. You see, 
It's, it's a short series and it is a thematic series. Now, now that doesn't mean that we're going to be preaching themes instead of preaching Bible passages. We will still be preaching from set texts. But those set texts, they won't be arranged around a particular book of the Bible. Rather, they will be texts chosen because they relate to the theme of this series. Does that make sense? So so we're, we're seeking to see what God says on these topics from a particular passage of the Bible. And the theme that we've decided to look at this this term is the theme of God and money. And maybe you're sat here thinking, why does it have to be about money? I mean, couldn't it have been about something I'm really interested in, like relationships or sex or something something interesting like that or gender? Well, we we have done a series recently looking at relationships, uh, and and no doubt we're going to be coming back to doing a series on relationships uh, again very, very soon. But Jesus said far more about money than he said about sex. Uh, According to the author Randy Alcorn, 15% of everything that Jesus said relates to the topic of money and possessions, which is more than all of his teaching on heaven and hell combined. The topic of money, it was an important topic for Jesus. And if we're honest, it's an important topic for us too. I mean, our attitude to money, it has a tremendous impact on our lives, doesn't it? on the choices we make. It shapes us. It shapes where we're heading, what we do, what we prioritize. And if you're anything like me, our tendency is to only very rarely stop and reflect on our attitude towards money. And so that's what we're going to do at the start of this new year. Stop and reflect on our attitude towards money. And I think that's a really pertinent thing to do right now, isn't it? Because our news feeds are absolutely full of stories about money. The financial crisis, soaring inflation, cost of living, strikes over pay. There is a collective sense that our futures are controlled by money. And the outlook is, well, it's bleak to say the least. So it seems like a good time to spend three weeks thinking about money. Let me just trace out where we're heading over these three weeks. Uh, today, looking at First Timothy chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 6, we're going to think about the topic of God and money. Uh, the next week, we're going to be thinking about money and anxiety. And then in the third week, the final week, we're going to be thinking about money and generosity. Uh, so first up, today, God and money. And I've got three points for us. Three simple points. Firstly, money is good. Secondly, money is dangerous. Third, make money your servant. First up, money is good. Uh, Perhaps you're surprised to hear me say that. Uh, Those of us who are old enough to remember the 1980s, you know who you are. I am one of them. Maybe you remember the film... Wall Street, or at least maybe you've seen the famous clip from Wall Street. 
Gordon Gecko, played by Michael Douglas, famously says, greed is good. The great call of the 1980s. We're all greedy back in the 1980s. Now, you just look at Gordon Gecko, you know he's a baddie, don't you? I mean, he looks bad. And we all know that greed is not good. Greed is evil. And our natural assumption is to think the same is true of money. I mean, after all, didn't the Bible say money is the root of all evil? Well, actually, it doesn't. The verse that many people assume says that is actually in the passage that Janneke read. Uh, Take a look at it again. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. We're going to come back to precisely what that means in a few minutes. But it certainly isn't saying that money itself is evil. Let us take a few steps back before we go into that. Christians tend to, tend to fall into one of two errors when it comes to money. The first error is what is often called the prosperity gospel. You come across that? It's the teaching that the Christians, that they're children of the king. You know, we are princes and princesses, therefore we should live like it. Always travel first class. Always stay in the penthouse suites. It's caviar all the way because we're children of the king. Godliness leads to gain. That's the prosperity gospel. Financial gain. And that's the teaching that was going around according to this letter. Just look back to verse 5 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. There were some teachers, that they were, they were false teachers, who were thinking that godliness is a means to financial gain. These are false teachers who believe, who, who believe that the doctrine should lead to dollars. Piety should lead to pounds. The prosperity gospel. But, you know, there's another trap that Christians tend to fall into, and it's what the Australian preacher Philip Jensen calls the austerity gospel. This renounces wealth and suggests that money is a dirty, dirty thing which ought to be avoided by Christians. Christians should drop out of the commercial rat race and we should all retreat to monasteries and communes where we'll be safe. A little bit of context will help us to understand what's going on in 1 Timothy. Paul is writing here to his young apprentice, Timothy. He'd left Timothy in the city of Ephesus, and he'd asked Timothy to help the church in Ephesus to establish its leadership, to appoint elders, and to work out how it should worship when it came together. That's what the majority of the letter is all about. But it seems that an error had infiltrated the church in Ephesus. Now, now that error was based on a philosophy that was rife within Ephesus. That that philosophy would would one day become known as Gnosticism, from the Greek word gnosis, meaning knowledge. Now, now this, this teaching, it taught that who you really are 
is who you are on the inside, not the outside. The higher life, the spiritual life, is to be found in discovering knowledge, in discovering yourself. That's where true spirituality is to be found, on the inside, in discovering yourself. Material things, such as our bodies, well, they are of a lesser value. They're just a distraction from who we truly are on the inside. Does that sound familiar to you? Anyway, this elevation of the inner spiritual realm over the outer physical meant that people in Ephesus, they undervalued material things, whether it be food or sex or, or marriage. And that error had even crept into the church. If you're on your phones, flick back to chapter 4, verse 3. False teachers had, had entered the church in Ephesus and begun to claim that believers should abstain from marriage, verse 3, and certain and look at what Paul calls that. He says, verse 1, this is the teaching of demons. It's pretty extreme, isn't it? Why? Well, verse 4 of chapter 4. Everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. That's Genesis chapter 1. God created things. He created material things. He created them good. They're gifts from the good creator, and they're to be received with thanksgiving, with prayer of thanks to God, and then they're to be used in accordance with the word of God. That's what it means to say that they are consecrated, made holy by the word of God and prayer. So, so take sex as an example. People often assume that Christians are, are down on sex, that we're averse to sex. That, that isn't true, or it shouldn't be true. Christians are fans of sex. We think it's a brilliant thing because we think it's a gift from God, and it is a good gift from our generous God. We want to receive it with thanks. But only in its God-given context, which the Word of God says is a lifelong marriage between one man and one woman. In, in the same way, money, money is a good thing. It's a gift of God. Just think about where we would be if money did not exist. Actually, you, you don't need to think very hard about that because we know exactly what the world was like before money came into existence. Everything worked through an elaborate system of, of bargaining and exchange. So imagine that I was a shepherd, and I wanted to buy myself a sword to protect my sheep from the wolves. I'd go to the ironmonger, I'd say, please go have a sword. He'd say, what you got? And, and I'd have to say, well, I've got a lamb, or two lambs, or three lambs. How many do you want? I want a sword. Have some of my lambs. The problem, of course, was... If the ironmonger didn't want my lambs, how am I supposed to get my sword then? Now, the, the, the invention of money, it changed all of that. It, it made exchange much more straightforward and much more efficient. Money is a good thing in our society. And you know, having lots of money, 
is a good thing too. Perhaps you're surprised and you're a little bit uncomfortable hearing me say that. After all, didn't Jesus say to the rich ruler, sell everything you have and give to the poor? And didn't Zacchaeus, just one chapter later in the Gospel of Luke, give away half of his possessions to the poor the the moment he became a Christian? Well, yes. But those were particular people in particular situations who had particular idols. You see, the rich young ruler, as we read Luke 18, we, we see that he found his identity in his possessions. In the word of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, the rich ruler, his wealth made him arrogant. And Zacchaeus, well, Zacchaeus, he'd made his millions through corruption and extortion. And so his giving of half of his possessions to the poor, it was part and parcel of his repentance when he came to the Lord. You see, Jesus says different things to different people in the Bible. And the Bible is full of examples of wealthy believers. Like Abraham, who's described in Genesis chapter 13 as being very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. Or Job. At the start of Job's book, we're told that he was the greatest, meaning he was the wealthiest man in the whole of the East. If you know the book of Job, everything goes bad for Job. He loses everything. But then at the end of the book, we're told that the Lord restored to Job twice what he had at the start, which means at the end of the book, he is twice the wealthiest man in the whole of the East. And remember that Job was both blameless and up. When we get to the New Testament, we find very wealthy believers uh, like Lydia and Philemon who were wealthy enough to have houses that could accommodate the whole church. And then here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul tells Timothy to command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. The implication being that you can be rich and a believer. The founder of the Methodist movement who gave us this building we're meeting in, his name was John Wesley, and he preached a famous sermon on the use of money, and he had three simple points. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Money is a good thing. Earn all you can. I think that's something we need to hear here at City Church. Uh, Many of you know that before I became a pastor, um, I trained to be a lawyer. And when I entered that training, I had my eyes set uh, on on working as a solicitor for a a big firm in the city of London. And, And I actually managed to get my dream job in my final year at university. But I ended up turning it down and ended up working as a law lecturer up in Durham University. Now, there were a whole load of reasons why I declined that offer, and most of the reasons were really, really good. But one of the reasons was because I was afraid of earning a huge salary. I thought if I did, it would make me greedy. 
And looking back, I think I was really wrong to make a decision on that basis. Sure, I may have become greedy because I earned a huge salary. But you know, less wealthy people can be greedy just as much as wealthy people. And deciding to try to avoid greed by not earning lots of money was simply tackling the symptom of my greed rather than the root cause. It was like taking medication to to lower my blood count rather than having the cancer treated. Money is good. If you're a regular at City Church, you'll know that last week, uh, Josh Fouts, who's one of our elders, uh, circulated an email about a new entrepreneur's group he's setting up. And I'm really excited about that. City Church needs more business owners, needs more entrepreneurs. You know, the the independent churches, which is what we're part of, the the non-Anglican church, we have a rich, rich history, a long line of entrepreneurs in the church. People like William Colgate, Thomas Cook of Thomas Cook Holidays, Henry Hines. James Craft, they all started or continued businesses, creating jobs, earning lots and lots of money, and then giving it away to the poor and to the needs of the gospel. Sadly, I think we've lost that impetus in the independent church today. And many of us have just defaulted to safe jobs with middle incomes, as if doing a safe job with a middle income is somehow more godly. But it's not. Not in itself, because money is a good thing. But, he knew there was a but. Secondly, money is a dangerous thing. Money is a dangerous thing. Take a look at verse 9 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, the the word used there for trap is a word that describes a device used to catch animals. It's describing a snare. And the whole point of a snare is that a snare is invisible. The animal doesn't know that it is in the snare until it's too late, is around the animal's neck, and then when it tries to run, all that running does is tighten the snare and make it more inescapable. That, according to Paul, is what the love of money is like. That is what the desire to get rich is. It is invisible. You know, Jesus says exactly the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount, which was the other passage we had read. Uh, Just flick back to Matthew chapter 6 with me. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Here, Jesus tells his disciples to store up treasure in heaven that lasts rather than treasure on earth that doesn't. Then in verse 24, Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. It's one or the other. Now, now both sections, they're clearly talking about possessions and money. But then, then there is this strange section in the middle 
Verses 22 to 23, and it's all about eyes. Look at that with me. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, what's that all about? You see the money at the start of the passage, the money at the end. Why does this thing about eyes? Well, Jesus is comparing money Sorry, he's comparing the eye to a lamp. Or you might like to think of it, he's comparing it to the window in a house. If it's a good window, a good lamp, then then the house is full of light. But if it's a bad window, if it's a bad lamp, then the house is full of darkness. Point being, money is dangerous because it blinds you. To your love for it. What do I mean? Well, if I was to ask today, how many of you struggle with forgiveness? How, how many of you have someone who you're just really struggling to forgive right now? I suspect many of us would raise our hand. That's something that we struggle with, and we'll, we'll admit that. Or, or if I was to ask you, how many of you are struggling with lust right now? need to be a little bit brave, but I suspect if we're all being brave, many of us would raise our hands. Yes, yes, I am struggling with lust. But if I asked you, how many of you are struggling with the love of money? How many of you are struggling with greed? Well, I reckon hardly anyone would raise their hand. We don't see it as a problem. And you know Why? Because it's a snare. It blinds us. It darkens us. How does it do that? Well, it does it by comparison. So try this on and see if it fits you. It might not, but try it on, okay? You've heard me talking about money. I wonder what's the internal thought process that is going on for you right now. Could it be... Well, I don't earn as much money as lots of people sitting in this room. And I'm pretty sure that I give more than the average member at City Church. And I haven't bought the sort of car that that person has bought, and I didn't go on the sort of holiday that that person went on last summer. And my house is nowhere near as nicely decorated as theirs. For me, it's all I care rather than John Lewis. Do you see what we do? We do with greed and the love of money what we never, ever do with other sins. So if I committed adultery, I wouldn't say at least I only did it once. Not many, many times like that person over there. But with greed, we deny sin by comparison. The desire to get rich, the the love of money, it is a snare. And notice, again, that money is not the problem. Money is a good thing. Verse 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. You know, love is a uniquely human trait, If you doubt that, all you need to do is watch a wildlife documentary. 
Okay, because in a wildlife documentary, you see animals, and, and animals, they herd together. You know, you might get a herd of wildebeest bigger than city church, but the reason they herd together is not because they love each other, but for mutual protection. And you watch a wildlife documentary, you will see animals mating, mating a lot. But the reason they mate is not because they love each other, it is because of procreation. The capacity and desire to love is a uniquely human trait, and it is inescapable. We all love, without exception. Every one of us here today loves someone. And love is a desire that leads us to give away ourselves for that other person or other thing. No animal has that, but every single human being does. Let me give you a silly example of this. Uh, When I was in my early 20s, I decided I wanted to try and get cultured, so I thought I would try and dabble in opera, okay? Um, And so I went to see Madame Butterfly halfway through at the bit, the really sad bit, when uh, there's, there's a suicide uh, and it goes silent for 10 minutes, I literally fell asleep. Uh, and then at the end of it, I left feeling like I'd wasted my time and wasted my money on the tickets. I don't love opera, so I wasn't willing to give myself away from it. But, but there are plenty of people, plenty of people who love opera and wouldn't think anything of spending hundreds of pounds and spending weekends away watching opera. We give ourselves away for what we love, for what we treasure. You know, it's here that our two passages really come together. You see, First Timothy, it talks about love. That's the focus. Matthew chapter 6, it talks about treasure and service. And those three things come together. We treasure what we love and we serve what we love. That means that we give ourselves away for it. That is what giving ourselves away looks like, treasuring and serving. Just look again at verse 21 of Matthew chapter 6. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, treasure, it is a diagnostic tool. Look at your bank statements and then you will discover where your heart is. You will see what you love if you look at your banking app. If Christianity was to become illegal overnight in this country, would they be able to convict you of being a believer based simply on your financial evidence? You know, treasure isn't simply diagnostic. Treasure also leads and directs our hearts, which brings us to the third point. Make money your servant, not your master. We like to think of ourselves as being free, don't we? I mean, it's one of the, the kind of cores of, of Western civilization. We are free, we're independent, we are unfettered, unconstrained. But as we've seen, that's really not true. Because every human being, we, we all love. It's instinctive. 
which means that every human being, we are hardwired to give ourselves away for something or someone. The only question is, who is that? And are they good? And the passages we've looked at today tell us that that money is a very bad master. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 again. Money leads us into many foolish and harmful desires. It plunges people into ruin. Verse 10, the love of money pierces people with many griefs. Over Christmas, we had an extended family get-together. and We started to do what you do and those extended family get-togethers. We started talking about what everyone and their relatives were, were doing. And one of my relatives, who has a, a young family, he, he's working out in the Middle East. He's been there for close to two years now, and his employer only lets him go home to see his family six weeks a year. Why does he do it? Well, because he loves the job and because it pays really well. Money is a very bad master. It pierces us with many griefs. So how do we free ourselves from it? Well, it's a simple answer, and both our passages give it. The way we free ourselves from the master of money is simple. Give it away. Give it away. Look at verse 18 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command them to be Good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Paul is saying here just what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I wonder whether you've heard of, of uh, John William Lang. He was a Christian who inherited his, his father's construction business in the mid-20th century. Uh, and he knew his own heart. He knew that he could easily be diverted off of Christ and onto money. So while he was still young, he sat down and he worked out how much he needed to live on each year. How much it would cost to buy a comfortable house, how much it would cost to, to buy the things that he needed, not just needed, but the things he enjoyed as well. How much would it cost to provide for his family? He, he worked all of that out, and then he determined to live off that amount for the rest of his life, just increasing it in line with inflation, and to give the rest away. By the time Lang died in 1978, his company had an annual turnover of hundreds of millions of pounds. They collected together all of his personal possessions when he died, and they valued his estate upon his death. And do you know how much was left? 371 pounds. Whether you're a millionaire like John Lang or whether you're a pauper, if you want to break free of the snare of money in your life, Give it away. Give it away. 
In some ways, it doesn't matter where you give it to. The simple act of giving your money away, it will break the snare of money in your life. It is guaranteed to do that. But be careful. Be really, really careful. Because where you put your treasure, where you give it away to, there your heart will go also. What you choose to give your money to, that will become your treasure, your master, your love. We love what we give our lives away for, and we give our lives away for what we love. And you see, that is why both Paul and Jesus urge us to give away our possessions in a way that stores up treasure in heaven. What does that look like? Well, you know, it it includes giving to those in need. That's clear from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, being willing to share and generous. But, But supremely, it means investing in the kingdom, in gospel ministry. Whether that's here at City Church, at another church, or through another Christian organization entirely. If we love Christ, we want to serve and love him more. And that will mean making our money serve his purposes. Making our money serve his priorities. But is that safe? I mean, is it wise to forgo our own personal financial security for Christ. We're going to be thinking much more about that next week. I don't want to say too much right now. But, you know, we inevitably serve something or someone. We inevitably give ourselves away from them. We all do it. We cannot help doing it. It might be our spouse, it might be our friends, it might be our employer, it might be Manchester United, it might be the Xbox, but we do it. We give ourselves away for that other. Let me ask you, the one that you give yourself away for, are they good? Are they safe? Consider God. Verse 17 of 1 Timothy chapter 6. He richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Jesus Christ, he had all the wealth, all the possessions, all the power, all the glory, comfort, and joy, and yet he gave it all away. He became poor for our sake. He was born into a Galilean backwater, the son of a carpenter, and he died a slave's death. And he did it for us. Out of his love for us, he gave himself away for us in all of our sin. Dying the death that we deserve, taking the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion against God. He became poor so that we might become rich. He lost everything that we might gain everything. He loved so that we might become loved. Now, isn't that someone that you want to serve? Isn't that someone that it is safe to give your life away for? As we enter 2023, 
may we make our money and possessions serve that master. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you became poor so that through your poverty we might become rich. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the ultimate expression of God's love for us. You are the one who gave yourself away fully, totally, completely. That we, the objects of your love, might be redeemed, might be forgiven, might be made whole. Lord, we look in wonder at the cross and we declare your goodness, your grace, your mercy. And we say thank you.